Alcorn is looking like they're the best team in the SWAC West. Hampton's off to their best start in over a decade, and Damon Wilson has his first victory at Morgan State. Oh yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On HBCU podcast, your number one. Daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked On podcast network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked On HBCU your first listen of the day every day. And today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. And I want to thank them for being the official sponsor of the college football recruiting across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash Locked On College. Terms and conditions do apply. And if we're talking about the best teams in a conference, the best teams in a division, Alcorn is looking like they are the cream of the crop when it comes to the teams in the SWAC West. I know that I've laid out this quartet of contenders within this division that could come out of the SWAC West. Um, If I had to compare them all, I would say that right now, Alcorn State looks the best. If you're looking at Southern, they just got blown out and shut down by Texas Southern after two games where they kind of have set winners in that game. You know you're going to beat the NAIA team. You know you're probably going to lose to LSU. I I don't care who you schedule, to be honest. Um, and that goes for any school. I don't care who any school schedules. However, you must understand that who you schedule is going to play a part in how we speak of you and how we can actually, you know, how we think of you, to be honest, right? So with Southern, you play an NAI, you play an NAIA school, blow them out as expected. You play a Power 5 school, get blown out as expected, and then you come play Texas Southern, and you get shut out, and you get beat badly. I don't know how I'm supposed to not hold a lot of weight to that game. Um, So right now, can't say they look better than Alcorn. Grambling, two out of the three performances that they have put up have been bad. One was a blowout versus Jackson State that was close for 30 minutes, but then the league got expanded. And then also... You got the game versus Arkansas State where I don't fault you for losing to an FBS opponent. However, you were very undisciplined in that game to a point that was concerning. So I made that a bad performance. That's two out of three games that were bad performances. Then you go to Prairie View, and I'm not going to switch my tune up on Prairie View. I came out here last week, and I said, you know what? I need to put some respect on their name. I owed them an apology. And I gave that apology about a week ago. One week of action is not going to make me suddenly turn my back on that statement. I would arguably have them at number two as far as who's looked the best. I think that it's kind of unfair. Southern, you know, only played one game, really. That might not be who they are. And then Jackson State, they probably played one of, if not the best, HBCU in the land. So, 
I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say what's going to be at the end of the year. However, these two teams in purple have looked better. I give Alcorn the edge. Now, what I kind of did was a minus Prairie View was kind of a process of elimination to start off with. I gave why I think Southern and Grambling don't deserve to be the top uh, team in the SWAC West. But if I'm just sitting here saying, well, these two teams haven't looked good and Alcorn looks better than them, that makes that statement significantly less impressive. Being better than two teams that have not looked good doesn't hold much weight. It's kind of like if you're 5'3 and you're taller than a bunch of people who are 5'2 and 5'1, that doesn't make you tall. So, right, it just makes you the tallest person of that group that is not very tall. And that's not really impressive if we're going to be honest. That's not what I believe Alcorn is. I think Alcorn has looked really good. So let me not do a process of elimination. Let me just sit here and tell you why I think the Braves have been a really good team to start off the season through the first three weeks. I was reading an article in some person on, on, I think it was in Jackson, Mississippi. I think it might've been a sportscaster in Jackson, Mississippi said that Alcorn by far has the hardest out of conference schedule of any team in the SWAT. I'm not, I'm not sure I agree. I, I'm leaning towards agreeing. I kind of want to say Texas Southern's up there because they do have to face UNC and UTSA two FBS opponents while Alcorn only had to face Tulane. However, Lincoln University doesn't really match up to these other two opponents. They don't really match up to McNeese and they don't really match up to Stephen F. Austin. So I kind of want to lean towards Alcorn and that does matter. Remember what I just said about Southern. The Who you schedule, I don't care who you schedule. It doesn't matter in the long run. I think that scheduling is only important when contextualizing how you feel about a team. And I believe that Stephen F. Austin and McNeese State, I'm going to skip over week two because it's really not important to me. However, I do believe that that week one and week three matchups going against some of the better FCS teams and performing the way that you did, I believe that should be important. I believe that that should carry a little bit of weight, in my opinion. It does for me, and I think that it should for you as well. And in these games, I thought you looked pretty good. You know, you took Stephen F. Austin down to the wire. You just knocked off McNeese. We, we feeling good, you know. You look at the McNeese game, right? And in that McNeese game, I thought it was kind of a really good balanced attack between offense and then also defense because you look at their offensive performance in that game, and yeah, they were able to put up some points. However, they had three running backs who were over 60 yards, and to me, I felt like there was one big-time play and you got three touchdowns on the day, but you had one big time play where you had it was a it was a 89, yes, 89 yard deep bomb. A deep bomb from Aaron Allen to Matero Hunt. Because on that play, and the reason I want to highlight it is because on that play you had probably great attributes by both players. You had a really, really nice ball that was thrown by Allen it was right on the bucket and then you had Hunt who showed his ability to fight through the contact after the catch not at the catch point but after the ball was in his hand he threw the defender off of him and he ran down for about another 50 yards but it was already about 30 40 yards in the air you know around that that length so you had three rushes go for 60 yards like I mentioned and then also the defense they forced three, three turnovers on the day 
Two of those turned into points by way of the offense. The other one was at the end of the game when the offense just trying to bleed clock. So they really weren't they weren't trying to capitalize on it the same way they did earlier in the game. Man, SWAC teams have been 0-15 versus McNeese. Ever. No SWAC team had ever beaten McNeese till now. Right? Alcorn felt like they were close. So you're looking at a team that was close against Stephen F. Austin, had J uh, Javarian Howard, went for 200 yards. They were able to run the ball. So that's one thing that was constant, right? You look at the defense. I feel like the defense was really penetrating. They had 10 tackles for a loss versus Stephen F. Austin. They did very similar work against McNeese and also paired it with sacks. So you had the penetration in the run game and then also in the, in the passing game. These are disruption stats against high-level FCS opponents. These are the type of things that a lot of us, when, when clamoring about or talking about the scheduling for teams, feel as if, okay, let's, let's have these higher scheduled games or these higher-ranked opponents because when you have games like this, these are how we really start ranking the team. Like, oh, no, you look really good. And this is before you get into conference play, and it's also how you're able to shake up some people you know who aren't really tapped into the hbcu landscape for real for real but overall i think that they've looked really good and no one else can say that they played this level of opponents and then also looked the way that all corn looked i don't know anybody who can say that and i think that the hbcu rankings were dead wrong like i don't i don't know why they thought they should just um cast Alcorn off after losing the two lane. I understand they got blown out in that game, but I thought it was wrong to drop them three spots. I don't think that they deserved it in the slightest. And now they've rectified themselves because after this victory over McNeese, guess what? They have now risen four spots and they are, or excuse me, three spots and they are back to where they deserve to be as the number four team in the HBCU rankings. However, let's continue on these rankings and let's move from four to big five. And big five is Hampton. We're going to talk about why Hampton not or how Hampton knocked off Norfolk and then also why it's kind of hard to rank Hampton in these in these HBC rankings as we continue going with the season. Before we dive into the topic, however, let me tell you about LinkedIn because we're right in the thick of things. We're right in fall, we're right in Halloween. Everything is festive. Maybe that's your business. Maybe your business is a holiday-oriented business or possibly you're looking at Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Christmas is coming. No matter what your business is, if you're selling a product, Christmas is a time when people want to buy. And if you want to be able to get everything out at a timely fashion, you need people who meet your vision and you need them now. There's no better place to do that than LinkedIn. They, they allow you to get to the candidates you want to talk to faster than ever. No more sitting through a bunch of interviews. No, I can reach out to this person personally and say, you know what? You are who I want for my business. Do you want this job? You can reach into people who actually show that they have interest in your type of work as well. Just make sure that you use the purple hashtag hiring frame and you can add your job up there for free for 810 million plus and growing job seekers to watch. Did you know that nearly 40 million people on a weekly basis visit LinkedIn jobs? So there's a large some for you to group or for you to pull from. Just post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That is linkedin.com slash locked on college. Post your job for free and terms and conditions do apply.
As we keep rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every single day. And I want to talk about Hampton. We just got done talking about Alcorn, who was number four in the HBCU rankings in this week's edition. And then also, we have Hampton, who comes in at number five. Hampton was actually the biggest riser. The jump that they made was larger than anybody, even on the uh, downside, right? They were the biggest mover, period. Um, Luckily, they were in a positive direction. But, yeah, they were the biggest mover in this week's HBCU rankings and that comes after their victory over Norfolk State and I think that it's an impactful victory for a couple of reasons right but let's get into this victory first they have now started their season 3-0 and they were in their season 2-0 versus MEAC opponents they won't go against any other teams in the MEAC for them it's conference time and that's going to be important and something we talk about a little bit later in this segment however they're going to end their season 2-0 in the MEAC having wins over Norfolk and wins over Howard. Remember, they knocked off Howard in the battle for the real HU in their first game of the season. And when I'm looking at this game, it was a big game for the Spartans. This was an important game. I'm talking about coming into it. This was a important game for the Spartans. It was time for them to prove that they faced some super high-level competition. That's the reason that they got blown out and were better than this. J.J. Davis did not pop out. We have to give credit to that, to the Hampton defense. We have to give credit there because I'm, I'm about giving credit to those who stop. We can harp on J.J. Davis not looking the way that he should look. And you know what? If this continues really any more time, because we've already done it, I think we have gave him enough time, any more time, that likely will be a story. But right now it's Hampton's time to shine. So let's make sure that we're placing the light on the people it deserves to be on at the time that it deserves to be on them. Right now is Hampton's time. They were able to stop J.J. Davis, and he never really got loose. And this is an important thing because J.J. Davis is a high-level talent. This was a defensive game. This is something that Hampton hadn't been in all year. Mind you, they scored 24 points total in this game between Hampton and, and Norfolk. Hampton's lowest total outside of this game was 31 points, right? They scored 17 today. That's a that's a major difference. So they won in a shootout. They won in a blowout. I mean, depending on how you wage that, they know how to blow teams out. But you won in a shootout, you won in a blowout, and now you won in a defensive matchup. And to me, that bodes well because it shows that your team is your team is multifaceted, right? So if you aren't playing so well on defense and you need your offense to go blow for blow we did that saw that against Howard they went blow for blow I know that you can win in a shootout well sometimes your defense can shut somebody down they did that in this in the blowout where your offense and your defense are clicking on all cylinders versus Tuskegee and you made sure that you did that however okay that's a d2 team whatever but now you come back with another FCS opponent and your offense isn't clicking the way that it was the first time. That's okay, because your defense, it wasn't a fluke. Your defense didn't just dominate a D2 team. Your defense is actually productive and was able to shut down Norfolk as well. I like teams that know they can win in multiple ways. To me, having this happen in the first three games of the season in three different formats should build some confidence as you go into conference play. But there goes the problem, conference play. 
they're done playing HBCUs. They played all three that they're going to play for the season. And because they're not in the MEAC anymore, you're not going to see them go against HBCUs all year. Every MEAC team is going to play five games against HBCUs, FCS HBCUs. And not to mention that a lot of them, you look at South Carolina State, they're playing Bethune-Cookman already. They're going to play North Carolina A&T this week. That's seven matchups against HBCUs. Now, once again, I don't care who you schedule. Hampton can't avoid it. They're in a CAA, so they got to play their conference. However, I don't really care who you schedule. I will say this, though. All these teams in the HBCU rankings are pretty much going against each other. They're going against HBCUs. So when you look at A&T and when you look at Hampton, it's going to be increasingly more difficult to really know where they sit because you might have to get into the conversation of how do you weigh this CAA team versus this MEAC team or this, this SWAC team? Because a lot of people will tell you the CAA is one of the best FCS conferences, really building into that. So if this is the case, how do these people who are voting on the rankings, who are making the rankings, how do they weigh that? Because there might be some teams who are ranked above Hampton. Let's just say Hampton struggles, right? Even though they're looking really good, man. It's the first 3-0 start since 2007. It's almost 15 years ago. So this has been, it's been a long time. However, let's say that Hampton struggles and they don't win many games in the CAA. You can make a legitimate argument that, well, teams that are going to rank above them but aren't really that great in the SWAC of the MEAC could probably struggle there too. So now it's like, okay, what do we really do here? How, how do we weigh this scale? So it's going to be very difficult when you really look back at the season and say, where do I place them? It's something that I'll be really interested in watching, not only because it's going to be difficult to do, but also because I think it'll tell you how do they weigh this. If, if Hampton comes out and they look good in the CAA, they're going to be one of the better teams, like period. I don't, I don't have any doubt about that. I know... I feel pretty confident in saying that most voters probably like CAA teams more than they like SWAC and MEAC teams. That is what it is, all right? There's a lot of hype around the CAA, so that's not a surprising thing to me. It's just not. So with that being the case, if Hampton comes in and looks good against the CAA, they're likely going to say, well, you're looking better against high-level competition. It's just going to be about records. I could see them sitting in this five-ish spot. If they continue to play the way that they're playing against CAA talent, they're going to have a doozy cooked up for them now this week going into the CAA. They're going up against Delaware. That's going to be a tough one. However, you see them beat Delaware, they're probably going to jump Alcorn. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to leave it at that. They beat Delaware. They're probably going to be the number four, if not better team in this HBCU ranking going into next week. That's something that we should really watch for. Another thing that we should watch for is Morgan State because... Morgan State just got their first victory under Damon Wilson, and something tell me it, it, it won't be the last, right? They, I think they're going to have a pretty successful program. It's just about when. They got their first victory, and there's a little extra baggage that comes with it, and we're going to talk about that. But before we do it, before we do it, let's talk about Bet Online. Let's talk about the number one place for all of your sports wagering. Let's talk about the number one place that has all the best odds, props, lines. Let's talk about the place that's going to give you news, that's going to give you the scores, that's going to make sure that you know about what you're actually betting on. 
we could describe it all those ways, or we could call it bent online. I got a couple of more adjectives that I could really drop for them, but they are amazing. And when you really think about it, the fact that they are going to tell you on this same website that they want you to put money down, that this is what you should do, or this is how the game, we think the game is going to go. Here are the pros and cons. Let's make an educated bet for yourself. It's a better chance for you to hit on your money, baby. It's a better place for you to hit on your money, man. I tell all my friends to go put your money down on bet online. They're so versatile. It's football season. They got that. Basketball season's on the way. They got futures right now. When the season starts, they're going to have every game in there. Got combat sports. You got esports. Anything you want, you name it, they got it. It's that simple. In addition to being the fastest and easiest way to wage on all of your favorite sports, it's the go-to place, bet online, where the game starts. As we're wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making this your first listen of the day. Let's go ahead and end it strong. And let's talk about some good stuff. Let's talk about some positivity. We've been real positive on today's episode, and I think I needed that. I think I needed a little bit of positive energy, and I hope you needed it as I drop it to you in the morning. I hope that this is exactly what you need to start your day or keep your day going, or maybe even end your day. Maybe you're listening to this as a, as a nice little nightcap. But I hope this positivity is going through your speakers and you really do love this. Now, let's talk about Morgan State. I've heard that Morgan State is close. I've heard that quite a bit. However, they hadn't been able to grab the cigar. Well, now they got the cigar. They've smoking the victory cigar. But what comes with it? A little bit of baggage. A little bit of baggage that comes in the form of a quarterback controversy. And honestly, I'm not too mad about it because if I got to smoke my cigar with a little bit of controversy next to it, I'd rather that than been sitting there looking at it and saying we were this close to it. Right. Um, So when I look at this, let's first talk about the victory. This is the first victory for Damon Wilson in a Morgan State coaching capacity. It comes against Sacred Heart. That's the first victim. And I've already said, I don't think there deserves to be any sort of expectations on Damon Wilson. I think he got the job so late that whatever he does is land yap, as my boy Ross from uh, Locked on Saints likes to say. It's just a bunch of extra. So I'm looking at what they're going to do. I'm looking at the development that they have. But overall, I'm not expecting them to be world beaters. If they are, then whoo, shout out to Damon Wilson, because that's a, a heck of a coaching job, right? But overall, I'm not looking for that. They never trailed in this game versus Sacred Heart, though. They dominated. From the moment they put three points on the board, not only did they never trail, they never even tied, right? The defense was suffocating. The offense had a very interesting twist that I think is the tale of the, of the day. Maybe even more so than the defense, just because what happened on the offense kind of spicy. But let's talk about the defense. Because the defense was dominating. They didn't allow them to get into scoring position often. There was one time when they when they started, when Sacred Heart started the drive in field goal range. In field goal range, near the, the red zone, right? I think it was like the 23-22 yard line of Morgan State. They ended up ending 10 yards back, and they didn't kick it. They ended up going back to the 30. They had missed a field goal from about, uh, about 45, right? So they knew they weren't going to be able to make it from 
nearly 50 yards or 50 on the dot actually if they were at the 32 but Morgan State was that dominant they weren't allowing them and and this is a team in Sacred Heart that started like in front of their 40 a lot of times there was times they started in the Morgan State territory times they started on their own 40 and up near midfield but they never really got things going they they only allowed three drives of, of 20 yards that's two touchdowns I mean two two first downs 20 yards that's two first downs they only allowed drives of that nature three times that's suffocating right there's only so many ways you can say dominating but this is suffocating it felt like they took the air out of sacred heart right because they allowed less turn or less less drives of 20 or more yards than drives that were three and outs there was four three and outs on this day only three drives that went 20 or more yards anytime you can say that as a defense just know that you absolutely boa constrictor just wrapped wrapped your whole body around that team and squeezed the life out of them right the sacred heart was not beating after today yes they got a late game touchdown in the fourth quarter but that was the only touchdown they scored. That was the only points they scored all day. They had nine points, but two of them came from a safety. That's the offense. The defense did none of that. That's not the defense's fault. This is a devastating defense. But let's get into the spiciness. Let's get into that, that quarterback controversy. That's Deuce Taylor versus Carson Baker. And this is not good news for Carson Baker, who was the original starting quarterback this is not good for him because there's a couple of things that i want to read off yeah i want to read off a couple of things that i think are actually quite concerning and more so than what happened after the game is coach wilson's comments about what happened after the game because they obviously switched quarterbacks and it was kind of a spark in sense so let's get into it coach wilson said that they plan on getting deuce activated in, in early in the game or active earlier in the game because before this game he didn't see time outside of a, a real late fourth quarter appearance in a blowout loss to Georgia Southern but now you want to get him involved early in the game that's not a good look for Carson that's not a good look for Carson I wouldn't be happy about that then what happens when he comes into the game all your touchdown drives are led by Deuce Taylor all of them yeah, you got, a, you got a field goal drive on the Carson, but all the touchdowns, deuce. Carson comes in and he starts the second half. To me, all right, we're going to give you another shot. After the first drive, you're benched. Deuce is back. And not only is Deuce back, he drops two touchdowns back-to-back. Two touchdown drives back-to-back, all right? So you get to start in the second half because Deuce had already came in and led the first touchdown drive. And then you get, the, you get that start coming out of halftime just to be sat down again. Coach Taylor says he feels like Deuce really got into a groove and he started settling in. Nothing wrong with that part. But when you combine it with the fact that he just did not play well and Deuce came in and led the best offense, when asked if there was a quarterback switch going to happen, he said we got a bye week to decide it. Your coach was already planning on getting the backup in early. Not good for you. The backup comes in, leads a touchdown drive. You get back in the game after halftime, get benched after the first series. The backup 
quarterback scores two touchdowns back to back. Not good for you. And when asked about if there's a quarterback switch that's imminent, your coach is very non-committal to your starting status. That's not good, Carson. That sounds like Deuce is, I'm not going to say it's his job, but you don't have a stranglehold on it. And if you don't perform in this week of practice, you very well could be backing up Deuce Taylor. We'll see what happens, though. But it just got interesting. Things got spicy out there at Morgan State, and I'm excited to see what comes from this quote-unquote quarterback controversy. But if I got to smoke my victory cigar with a little bit of quarterback controversy attached to it, that might just make the smoke a little thicker. I'm okay with that. It's that simple. But I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every single day on tomorrow's episode we're gonna come back with some of the games of the week that just did not make the official game of the week cut but are still very important that and also week four is a very important week and i'm going to tell you why and for your second listen of the day make sure you're checking out our conference shows on the network locked on acc locked on sec locked on big 12 pac 12 sunbelt make sure you check out the extended locked on podcast family and in the meantime in between time if you're looking for me you can find me on twitter at south exclusives until the next time that we hear each other family take care stay blessed peace